The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one, the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise you.
Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as light reveal. Come as wind and calm. Come as the fire and burn. Convince, convict, convert us until we are wholly yours. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 I come with a text. But, for the, but before the text, I come with a title. I've always been very relieved that I'm not in one of those churches where the minister had to get the title out on the sign by Wednesday. My titles are usually clear by 5.45 Sunday morning. But if this sermon had a title, it would be this. Urgent, urgent reconciliation. Jesus said, Jesus said, and boy, it really bothers me that he said it. Jesus said, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first, first, first. Be reconciled to your brother or sister and then, after that, offer your gift. It was a beautiful October day in 2006 when Charles Roberts entered an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania and killed little Amish girls and their teacher. After such an action of abject depravity and horror, he turned the gun on himself. Four days later, Charles's widow, their four children and some family were gathered in the graveyard of a United Methodist Church, the mound of brown earth and the open hole ready to receive Charles's earthly remains. I cannot begin to imagine what was in the heart of that United Methodist pastor ta tasked with that ministry. As the service was about to begin, small, desperate congregation noticed that coming into the cemetery were black-clad neighbors, Amish men, the dads, the uncles, the granddads, the brothers of those precious little girls who had perished. They understood at that moment that Charles Robert's wife and children, their neighbors, were burdened with a pain even greater than their own. And they were there to offer their presence, their support, their forgiveness, and their reconciliation. And I would say that because those Amish men were baptized folk, 
When they walked into that cemetery, Jesus Christ walked into that cemetery, cemetery because Jesus had borrowed their flesh to represent his reconciling, hope-based love where it was so desperately needed. This spectacle, this spectacle of radical forgiveness in that cemetery interestingly enough, captured the world's attention. And many were asking, is that really possible? Did that really happen? Is that level of reconciliation true? Was it honest? Is forgiveness like that possible? Several theologians of the Anabaptist tradition, brethren who are first cousins with the Amish and the Mennonites, took it upon themselves to answer that question. And they wrote a book called Amish Grace. Amish Grace, which is a book to try to explain how those men got into that cemetery. I read that book 14 years ago, and it changed my life. And I learned so much more about my Mennonite neighbors who live next to me where I live than I ever knew. For example, I didn't know until I read that book that the Amish and many Mennonites only celebrate the Holy Eucharist twice a year, and before each celebration, there is a very disciplined three weeks of preparation. On week one, in anticipation of the Eucharist in four weeks, on week one, every Amish person goes alone and spends Sunday morning in solitude reading the gospel you and I just heard. They read the Sermon on the Mount, and they then engage in a process of fearless self-examination to determine where reconciliation is needed in their lives, in their families, and what they are called to do to live into Jesus' words. Sunday number two is amazing. I cannot imagine it. They do not go to church together as a congregation. Sunday number two is family preparation Sunday where wives confess to their husbands and husbands confess to their wives needs for forgiveness and needs for mercy and need for reconciliation and sorrow for harsh words spoken. Siblings talk to each other and reconcile and beg each other for forgiveness. Brothers and sisters saying, I need you to forgive me. We must be reconciled as a family before we dare approach the sign of so great a thing. And on the third Sunday, the third Sunday, it's church Sunday. It's church Sunday in preparation of communions for communion Sunday. And in church, every member of the congregation reconciles. John, you charged me a little too much for that load of hay. And I've been holding a grudge. Could you possibly find it in your heart to forgive me? And then, and then on the fourth Sunday, having been through such preparation, 
they reverently eat and drink in a reconciled community, the Lord's body and his blood. Now, I want you to turn in the Book of Common Prayer to a page I, don't, I bet you don't turn to very often. I want you to turn to page 317 in the Book of Common Prayer. At the top of the page, and you can read along with me. Examine your lives and conduct by the rule of God's commandments, that you may perceive wherein you have offended in what you have done or left undone, whether in thought, word, or deed. And acknowledge your sins before Almighty God with full purpose of amendment of life, being ready to make restitution for all injuries and wrongs done by you to others, and also being ready to forgive those who have offended you in order that you yourselves may be forgiven. And then being reconciled with one another, come to the banquet of that most heavenly food. I call this increasingly obscure piece of the Book of Common Prayer to your attention, not as a prayer book antiquarian, but out of an urgent concern that you and I and our current American culture, we are drowning in a veritable ocean of We are drowning at this point in American life in a veritable ocean of contempt. Just a week and a half ago, the Congress observed the National Prayer Breakfast. Arthur Brooks until recently the head of the American Enterprise Institute and now a professor at Harvard was the speaker. He was present not because of his solid conservative credentials, which he certainly has. He was present because he is a devout layman in the Roman Catholic Church and he was present because he has just written a book on of all topics, forgiveness. Relying heavily on our gospel text for today with Nancy Pelosi on one side and Donald Trump within feet, he spoke the clear, he spoke to the clear and the present danger of a consuming contempt. He deserves this year's profile in courage.
the Ripper on one side, the Avenger on the other, and a message about the danger of contempt. He pled for a renewed commitment to forgiveness and reconciliation and gave a compelling talk quoting among others philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer who defines contempt as the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of the other. I'm going to repeat that quote. It's not mine. But he defines contempt as the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of the other. By the way, I think his talk deserves your immediate Googling, but after the sermon, please. <laughs> Jesus' call for forgiveness. And his call for forgiveness was being articulated by his mouthpiece, Arthur Brooks. And just like the sermon that Jesus preached at the synagogue in Nazareth, not everybody was just tickled to death with the message. A rather famous member of the audience said, Arthur, I don't think I agree with you. Then some in the audience laughed. We are awash in an ocean of contempt. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he explicated the Torah in a begging kind of way. He was begging and pleading with his fellow Jews to respond to God's liberating love with an answering love that reaches to the depths of our being. To the Torah, Jesus keeps saying, Go even deeper. Make your yes even more complete. Let your heart break open. Don't allow your life with God to be a, just a transaction, a bargain based on the clout of swearing on your head or swearing on Jerusalem to get more God stuff. Don't do that. Say a simple but resounding yes to God. A simple and resounding no to anger and vengeance and contempt. Let your yes and your no come out of the deepest place of whose you are. That's what Jesus begs with all of the hyperbole of the sermon. In just a few moments, it is going to be my profound privilege in your very seeing to rendezvous 
with some Christians at this holy baptismal font to rendezvous with them as they give their answering yes to a beckoning love that has found them in the water of baptism just like God grabbed up a community of Jews in the water of the Red Sea and then asked of them an answering love that we call Torah. God's urgent, longing love is waiting for the yes of eight Christians among us this morning. But not just them. But not just them. All of us. If we can find a way of saying our yes, perhaps our lives just might become a spectacle. Like that spectacle in a Methodist cemetery. That's what our world is desperate for. A spectacle of reconciliation as we are all drowning in the depths of contempt. In this dark night of our common life, God begs our yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.